Chapter Five of the World Beyond by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Combat of Titans. Aura, you think you know where Groff may have gone those times he went out into the hills? Yes, I think so, Lee. That giant. I think now I understand what must have happened. The giant shape of Franklin, a mile or two from them, had stood for a moment and then had receded, vanished momentarily, as he moved backward behind the hills. Lee and Aura, stunned, still stood beside the little rocky path. Lee's mind was a turmoil of confusion, with only the knowledge that he must do something now, quickly. There were no weapons here in this peaceful little realm. Four or five of these madman villains, what need had they of weapons? the monstrous power of size. The thought of it struck at Lee with a chill that seemed turning his blood to ice. The monster that Franklin had become, with a size like that, he could scatter death with his naked hands. I remember now, Aura was gasping. There was a time when your grandfather was working on his science. Groff was helping him then. Your grandfather taught Groff much. Working at what? It was never said, then your grandfather gave it up. He had decided it would not be wise here. Some individual apparatus with the size-changing principle of the space globe? And Groff had gotten the secret. An abnormality here, Groff with the power of evil latent within him, tempted by this opportunity. What could he have hoped to accomplish? Of what use to him would it be to devastate this little realm? Bitter irony swept Lee. Of what use was vast personal power to anyone? Those madmen of Earth's history, with their lust for conquest, of what use could the conquest be to them? And yet they had plunged on. He realized that with Groff there could have been a wider field of conquest. Groff had heard much of Earth. With the power of size here, he could master this realm, then seize the space globe, go with it to Earth, why, in a gigantic size there, he and a few villainous companions could master the earth world. A mad dream indeed, but Lee knew it was a lustful possibility matched by many in earth's history. And then Franklin had come here. Franklin, with his knowledge of earth, which Groff would need. Franklin, with his inherent feeling of inferiority, his groping desire for strength and power of size. What an opportunity for Franklin. Lee heard himself saying, out of the turmoil of his thoughts, Then Aura, out there in the hills, they've got some apparatus, of course, which... His words were stricken away. From somewhere in the glowing dimness, near at hand, there was a groan. A gasping, choking groan, and the sound of something falling. Lee, over there, Aura's whispered words were drab with horror. A figure which had been staggering among the rocks near them had fallen. They rushed to it. Vivian. She was trying to drag herself forward. Her hair streaming down in a sodden mass was matted with blood. Her pallid face was blood-smeared. Her neck and throat were a welter of crimson horror. Beside her, on the ground, lay a strange-looking apparatus of grids and wires, a metal belt, a skeleton helmet. She was gripping it, 
with a blood-smeared hand dragging it with her. Vivian, Vivian. Oh, you, Lee, thank God I got to you. Her elbows gave away, her head and shoulders sank to the rock. Finally, gasping with blood foam at her livid lips, she lay motionless. But her glazing eyes gazed up at Lee, and she was trying to smile. I went with them, that damned Franklin. He thought I was as bad as him. Her faint words were barely audible as he bent down to her. Just want to tell you, Lee, you're perfectly swell. I guess I fell for you, didn't I? That's over now. Just wanted you to know it anyway. There's one of the damned mechanisms they've got. Where are they, Vivian? A cave not very far from here, down that little ravine just ahead. They're in there, four or five of them, getting ready to... Blood was rattling in her throat, choking her. She tried horribly to cough, and then she gasped. I stole this mechanism. He, Franklin, he caught me, slashed me. He thought I was dead, I guess. But when he had gone, I got this mechanism, trying to get to you. Her choking, rattling breath again gave out. For a moment, she lay with a paroxysm of death twitching her, and then, very faintly, she gasped. Sort of nice. I was able to do one good thing, anyhow. I'm glad of that. The paroxysm ended in a moment. Her white lips were still trying to smile as the light went out of her eyes, and she was gone. Trembling, Lee stood up with the mute, white-faced aura clinging to him. It was fairly obvious how the weird mechanism should be adjusted. Anklets, the skeleton helmet of electrodes, the belt around his waist, with its grids, tiny dials, and a curved battery box. In a moment, he stood with the wires strung from his head to wrist, ankles, and waist. There seemed to be one little control switch that would slide over a metal arc of intensity contacts. Oh, Lee, what, what are you going to do? Aura stood white with terror. She said, four or five of them in a cave near here. Perhaps they haven't yet gotten large. Down in a little ravine, Lee found himself running forward in the luminous darkness. He called back, Aura, you stay where you are, you hide until it's over. Then, in the turmoil of his mind, there was no thought of the girl. There was only the vision of old Anthony lying back there, so helpless, his burning eyes bitter with this thing, which had so horribly come into his little realm. To meet force with force was the only answer. It was not Lee's plan to increase his size for a moment now. By doing that, almost at once, he would be discovered, and perhaps there were still four or five of the murderers, still not giants, in a cave nearby. The dim rocky ravine, heavy with shadows, led downward. He came to a tunnel opening, advancing more cautiously now, and then, as he turned an angle ahead of him, down a little subterranean declivity, a luminous cave was visible. Groff's hideout. At one of its entrances, here, Lee stood for an instant, gasping. The five men were here, Groff and four of his villainous companions. The five bodies lay strewn, horribly mangled, and the wreckage of their size-changing mechanisms was strewn among them. So obvious what had happened. Franklin had been the first to get large, and at once he had turned on them. 
Franklin the weakling, who dared not have any rivalry, and now Franklin was outside, out in the hills, a raging murderous monster. For a moment, in the grisly shambles of the little cave, Lee stood transfixed. Then his hand was fumbling at his belt. He shoved the small switch lever. There was a shock, a humming, a reeling of his senses. It was akin to what he had felt on the space globe, but stronger, more intense now. For an instant he staggered, confused. The wires strung on him were glowing. He could feel their heat. Weird, luminous opalescence streamed from them. It bathed him, strange electrolyte radiance that permeated every minute fiber of his being. With his head steadying, Lee suddenly was aware of movement all about him. The dim outlines of the cave room were shrinking with a creeping, crawling movement. Cave walls and roof all shrinking, dwindling, drawing down upon him. Under his feet, the rocky ground seemed hitching forward. This little cave, in a moment, while he stood shocked to immobility, the cave was a tiny cell. Down by his feet, the gruesome mangled corpses were the size of children. The cave roof bumped his head. He must get out of here. The realization stabbed him. Why, in another moment or two, these dark walls would close upon him. Then, with instant changing viewpoint, he saw the true actuality. He was a growing giant, crouching here underground, a giant who would be crushed, mangled by his own monstrous growth. Lee turned, staggered into the little tunnel, shoved his way out. The walls pressed him. They seemed in a moment to close after him as he gained the outer glowing darkness. There was only a narrow slit in the dwindling cliff to mark the tunnel entrance. Lee had the wits to crouch in a fairly open space as he stared at the dwindling trees, the little hills all shrinking. Franklin must be around here somewhere. Franklin, doubtless, would see him in a moment. And then as Lee rose up, Franklin saw him. Lee put a hand on one of the little hills at his waist, vaulted it so that he faced Franklin with what seemed no more than a hundred feet between them. For that second, Franklin was transfixed. Amazement swept his face. His muttering was audible. Why, why, what's this? An adversary had come to challenge his power. As Lee bounded forward, on Franklin's face while he stood transfixed, there was wonderment, disappointment, sudden instinctive fear, and then wild rage. He stooped, seized the boulder, hurled it at the oncoming Lee. It missed, and then Lee was on him, seizing him. Franklin's body had not been enlarging, but as he saw Lee coming, his hand had flung his switch. They gripped each other now, swaying, locked together, staggering. Franklin still was more than a head and shoulders above Lee. His huge arms, with amazing power in them, bent Lee backward. He stumbled, went down with Franklin on top of him. Got you, damn you, he said. His giant hands gripped Lee's throat, but Lee was aware that his own body was enlarging faster than Franklin's, upon which the size current had only now started to act. If Lee could only resist just a little bit longer. His groping hands beside him on the ground seized a rock. Monstrous, strangling fingers were at his throat. His breath was gone, his head roaring. 
Then he was aware that he had seized a rock and struck it up into Franklin's face. For a second, the hands at Lee's throat relaxed. He gulped in air, desperately broke free, and staggered to his feet. But Franklin was up as quickly. The tiny forest trees crackled under Lee's tread as again he hurled himself viciously on his antagonist. At the head of the distant ravine, the numbed aura crouched alone, staring out at the hills with mute horror, staring at the two monstrous giants, slugging it out. Franklin was the larger. She saw Lee rise up and, with a hand on one of the hills, vault over it, giants that loomed against the sky as they fronted each other, and then crashed together, went down. Lee was underneath. Dear God! Two monstrous bodies. Lee was lying with a ridge of crags under his shoulders. Franklin's voice was a blurred roar of triumph in the distance. Then she saw Lee's groping hand come up with a monstrous fifty-foot boulder. He crashed it home. They were up again. Their giant staggering lunges had carried them five miles from her. They were almost the size of fighting titans. The blurred distant shapes of them were silhouettes against the glow of the sky. The forest out there was crackling under their tread, a blurred roar of breaking, mangled trees. It was just a few seconds while Aura stared, but each second was an eternity of horror. Then one of the monstrous figures was toppling. A great boulder had crashed on Franklin's head. He had broken loose, staggering, while Lee jumped backward and crouched. For just a second the towering shape of the stricken Franklin loomed up in the sky, and then it fell, crashing forward. A swift-flowing stream was there, and the body fell across it, blocking the water, which dammed up, then turned aside and went roaring off through the mangled forest. Lee, again in his former size, sat at old Anthony's bedside with Aura behind him. The news of the combat out there against the sky had come to Anthony, the excitement of it too much for his faltering old heart. "'But you will be all right, Grandfather. The thing is over now.' "'Yes, all right, of course, Lee. Just a visitor here, and you will take my place.' He lay now, as old Anna Green had been that night, just on the brink. Lee, listen to me. Those mechanisms, the space globe, Lee, I realize now there is no possibility that we could help Earth, and surely it could only bring us evil here. What we have found here, don't you see? Back on Earth, each man must create it for himself, within himself. He could do that if he chose. And so you, you must disconnect us forever. Yes, Grandfather. And I guess that is all. For some time he seemed to hover on the brink, while Lee and Aura, sitting hand in hand, silently watched him. And then he was gone. The last of the mechanisms irrevocably was smashed. The little line of vacuums and tubes of the space globe's mechanisms went up into a burst of opalescent light under Lee's grim, smashing blows. Then silently he went outside and joined Aura. Behind them, down the declivity toward the village, the people were gathering. He was silent, his heart pounding with emotion as he faced them from a little eminence, faced them and heard their shouts and saw their arms go up to welcome him. 
Slowly he and Aura walked down the slope toward his waiting people. And with her by his side, her hand in his, Lee Anthony knew then that he had found fulfillment, the attainment of that which is within every man's heart, man's heritage, those things for which he must never cease to strive. End of chapter 5 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas End of The World Beyond by Ray Cummings